One of the first times I was uh, sent to dive underneath a carrier, uh, I quickly found myself in deeper than I thought I would be, uh, and in the wrong place completely, and I thought I was right. Have you ever been there before? Uh, I mean, not on the underside of a carrier, but uh, in the place where you've, you're deeper than you thought you would be, and, and the, what you were, you thought you'd be in the right place, but really in the wrong you see, before you go down, what happens is um, you go through some time that helps you understand the layout of a boat uh, from bow to stern, port to starboard, and starboard, 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 and everything in between. Yeah, so that when you're going down, you can figure out how to navigate, even though you can see about six inches in front of your face, uh, using communication techniques and navigation techniques. Uh, even though uh, on four and a half acres of sovereign U.S. soil, uh, a little bit more for the larger ones that are built recently, uh, even though you can't see anything around you. You have somewhat of a blueprint. You understand what's going on. Um, And then when things go wrong or you find yourself finding something that you should not be where you are, you call back to topside and they help you understand what's going on Because on top of all that is an umbilical that takes you back to the surface where there's somebody who understands exactly where you are and can help uh, navigate you to where you need to be. So the very first time I went underneath uh, a carrier, I came down and I thought I was doing everything I was supposed to do. And I thought I was following the instructions I was supposed to follow. And I came back up um, on the other side where I was supposed to be because of where we needed to find where it was, and that was the plan. And so I came back up to the surface, and I said, okay, where do I go from here? And my diving supervisor, who was my chief at the time, said, Whitney, turn around and wave. And I thought, that's weird. I don't remember that being a part. I don't understand why I need to turn around and wave. I said, okay, no, seriously. He said, turn around and wave. And so I turned around and wave, and right behind me was the boat that I just left. And I thought to myself, that's not supposed to happen. You see, I had gone down, gotten turned around, thought I knew where I was going, didn't say anything, and popped right back up where I had started and was not on where I was supposed to be. And my entire dive team was looking at me, waving at me in return. So it was a beautiful start to what would be years of blunders that make great stories later. But here's my point. We've, we've been there before, right? And in that process, we need somebody. When you're in that environment where you think you know the lay of the land, but you find yourself in the dark, not knowing exactly where to go, really, honestly, only able to see a few inches in front of your face, if at all. And what you see doesn't help Either you need somebody that you can call back to, especially when you find yourself off of project or off of mission or off base or off in life. You need somebody that you can call back to that says, I know exactly where you are. You are off. And here's how you walk this thing back and make it right. Brothers and sisters, that's what David is doing in Psalm 51. He is coming to a place where He has found himself not where he ought to be. Now, if you have missed the last couple of weeks, I'd encourage you to go online at firstnorfolk.org. Check out 
uh, watch sermons, go through that process, and you can catch up on where we are. But in a summary, what we've found out is that David has found himself in a situation, the setting is 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12, where Nathan the prophet has called him out in his sin because David has just done something terrible. Not only did he sleep with somebody who uh, was not one of his already many wives or many concubines. What does that tell you about the people that God uses? He uses imperfect people. But on top of that, he saw Bathsheba bathing. His servant said, this is, uh, the son, this is the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah. They're like, King David, she's off limits in about every way possible. She's the daughter of one of your servants, the wife of one of your servants. Who's out fighting for you right now? And he says, I'm going to just uh, sleep with her anyways. Forces her to sleep with him because he's the king. Gets her pregnant. You can do the math. Ask someone around you. Back in the day before ultrasounds, there's a term quickening. That's when culturally they would know, wow, I'm really pregnant. So we're talking like two to three months in after this event has happened. She comes to him and then he just has her husband killed conveniently to hide it all because he got him drunk and Uriah wouldn't sleep with Bathsheba. This is like, I mean, I'm telling you, you think like your life story's messed up? Like King David, right? Just look at what's going on here. And so in the process of all of this, Nathan the prophet comes and calls him out in his sin. And David realizes, oh my goodness, I'm in deeper than... I ever wanted to be. I am somewhere I never thought I would be, and I have been found out. And so, what David does in Psalm 51 is he begins to confess his sin. And in Psalm 51, we get a glimpse at the place of confession in the gospel and the fact that the gospel is the good news that God has created a pathway for you who are also in sin, albeit I'm guessing you did not see someone uh, go after them and do all of the things that David did. But on top, but the fact is that you are in sin and need a pathway toward reconciliation back with God. I know that because whether we admit it or not, the Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every person in here has done that. In fact, just pick any person in the Bible apart from Jesus Christ and you will find a life that has been destroyed by sin. And in another day, we could walk through that and you would feel great about your own life and your own family and your own faults and your own failures. And now finding ourselves with faults and failures and weird families and messed up relationships and understanding what God wants us to be because of God's prophetic word. Just like David with Nathan, we now have a pathway back to reconciliation with God. And that process through in the gospel comes, begins rather, when we confess our sin. That if we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord, that he is high and exalted and over all things, and believe in our hearts that God has raised him from the dead, we'll be saved. That the, the 
the, the, the pathway of the gospel being reconciled to God doesn't just begin with confession of sin, though. It continues as a follower of Christ to continue to be declared that we've met the standard through confession. First John 1 John 1.9, uh, G, uh, John writes, not Jesus or God writes, but he does write it because he's the word of God and scripture's inspired and all that. Uh, John writes, he says, if you, writing to believers, if you confess your sin. Okay, so God knows that saved people sin. You know how I know he knows that? You know he knows that? Because if you're a follower of Christ, you have and are and will continue to sin. But the pathway of, of confession leads us to not just be set apart as holy, blameless, beyond reproach like Christ. That's what sanctified means. But also to, to continue to go through a process of meeting the standard that God has set for us in Jesus Christ and continue to grow more and more like him, that process last week we learned is called justification. That if you confess your sins, he is, believer, faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That the gospel, the good news of confession is this. You are a sinner and God saves sinners. And he has created a way that you are now in this thing and are saved when you confess your sin. And now as a follower of Christ, we are, as C.S. Lewis said, continually in tune with the inner cesspool of sin in our lives. We continue to confess our sin as it hits us face to face and we find ourselves in deeper than we thought we would be or in a place that we should not be when we find ourselves in sin. And here's what I've found is most of the time true in my life. That I get caught in sin, or I know that it's there, and either my view of sin is so small, or my view of God is so small, that I choose to hide it as if he'll never see it, or I choose to not bring it before him as if he won't, won't or can't do anything about it. And I just, I just want you to know that if your view of God is such that he can't handle your sin, man, your view of God is not in line with Scripture. But more than that, that version of God can't do anything about your eternity and definitely can't do anything about actually getting you into heaven. But the Bible tells us we have a God who's much different than that. And David knows this. And we need to know this. We need to know that confession is this beautiful process that God uses that's for our own restoration. And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. We're going to see four different ways that we are restored when we participate in the act of confession. Now, again, this qualifier, because I understand that many different faith backgrounds of how you grew up or maybe just where you were last week uh, in this room, that maybe confession is something very different than what we know Scripture to say. That maybe confession is more of a process where you talk about what you feel bad about or what you're aware of. And somebody else says, if you do these things, then you will be truly forgiven or however the process and understanding works. And I want you to know that that's 
That's not from the Bible. But rather, confession in Scripture is an understanding that when we tell God, I have sinned against you, would you forgive me? He says, yes. I mean, can you imagine if you had to continually work to keep your forgiveness from God? Gary, I tell you what, if you could lose your salvation and unearn your forgiveness, you would every day, wouldn't you? Man, I would as well. And in this process, there's this beautiful pathway now that David begins to go down in the deep, dark depths of his deep, dark sin, where he now finds reconciliation and restoration with God. And he does, God does this, David finds this through four different ways. Now before we jump in, I already know that this is a heavy series because, because we all sin. And now to turn the tide to the beauty of what confession is. Because as uh, it's a professor out of Westminster Seminary, uh, he said it really well. He said this, we conf- the confession of sin is not to render us miserable by simply reminding us what great sinners we are. Now, listen, we do that enough of ourselves. We know that. We don't confess to be reminded of what great sinners we are. It's to remind us of what a great Savior we are. Have. Now listen to Psalm 51, beginning in verse 7, and let's see how we are restored by our great Savior. Here we go. David's going to see, he's going to claim that God is able to move him from dirty to clean. Look at uh, Psalm 51, beginning in verse 7, and David, David cries this out to the Lord. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. How many of you this morning in the shower used uh, some hyssop to get yourself clean, right? Now, what in the world is going on here? Well, there's two things that you need to know, and this is going to be really fun, as our resident Old Testament scholar can probably attest to, or at least will be gracious when you ask him about this later, that, yeah, Tim wasn't necessarily right, but he wasn't that wrong. What we're going to see is a series of Hebrew parallelisms that help us understand Hebrew poetry that are found in verses 7 through 12. Here's what I mean. What I mean is that the first part of every verse is then more fully explained or restated again in the second part. And so look at verse 7, and look at what David claims this purging with hyssop, and I shall be clean, does. Now we understand that being purged is not talking about uh, being forced out, although that is one meaning of purging. When you include the word hyssop and the idea of being clean and the reality of sin... A good Jew, which is what David was, or at least he was an Israelite, that term happened later. A good Israelite, grounded in the law as one of God's people, was using this language to understand being ceremonially clean. Hyssop in the Old Testament, under the law, which is where David is, was used as a par and process to sprinkle blood over people to declare that they indeed are no longer unclean from whatever ailment was ailing them. 
Uh, For example, uh, if someone had come up with leprosy, a leprosy, it's uh, about dead today because of uh, medicine. But in David's day, it was a deadly disease. And in David's day, when someone got leprosy and they began to literally uh, rot from the inside out, sorry parents, your kids are here, but right, when they began to grow different things and different body parts began to literally just fall off, they were considered unclean. But every once in a while, a miracle would happen and God in his favor would cleanse them from their leprosy. And in that process, they had to go to the priest. And when they went to the priest, we're told in Leviticus 14 that two things would happen. Number one, there would be two uh, doves that would come and one of them would live and the other one was the blood sacrifice. And the priest would take that blood and then pour it in a little bowl and take some hyssop, dip it in the blood, and sprinkle it on the bird uh, that was alive and sprinkle it on the person who had leprosy. And then what he would do is he would declare that the person who had this debilitating disease was now clean, and as he released The bird that flew over the person, he would declare, he is clean. He is clean. This is the image that David is appealing to. This is the image that we see here in Psalm 51. In fact, look over at verse 14 and David declares, deliver me from my blood guiltiness. David knows that he has shed blood and he is in sin and David is appealing God, would you, by a blood sacrifice, declare me clean? And he does this, looking in verse 7, not just by declaring him clean, but by being washed. Another ceremony language, that I shall be whiter than snow. As if before the throne of God, the offense before him that stains his life has been washed out by the blood of the sacrifice. You see, not only has David moved from dirty to clean because of confession, but you too are now, are now agreeing with God that I have sinned, that when we confess our sin, there is blood that washes away my blood stain. There has been a sacrifice made that God is able to make you holy and perfect before his throne. Though we are dirty with sin because of the blood shed through Jesus Christ, we can be made clean. Someone needs to preach that to themselves the next time you feel dirty in your sin. Someone needs to preach to yourself the gospel of confession saying, I feel so dirty because of this, but because of Jesus, God says, you can be if you confess, and now you are clean. You see, we move from being dirty to being clean, like white linen clean, like good enough for an inspection clean, like nothing held against you, brand spanking new clean. Not only are we clean, but continuing on in verse 8, not only do we move from dirty to clean, but we also move from deaf to hearing. I've said this before, but this is such a beautiful, vivid illustration. 
If you ever get a chance to go to a symphony orchestra, uh, show up early and you'll get to see the chaos of what happens before a symphony orchestra, or hear it rather. Everybody's kind of doing their own thing at their own, uh, uh, at their own, like, I don't, I don't know musical, like, language and stuff, right? But they're just, like, doing stuff, right? They're just making noises all over the place. And then what happens is someone comes in and has a stick, and he gets in the middle, or she gets in the middle, and begins to just wave it around, and everything goes into order. And when that happens... Then he does something else or someone stands up and they play a note. Again, my ignorance is profound in this area. They play a note or whatever and then everyone else plays the same note. And then it begins and what was absolute chaos is absolutely beautiful, makes sense, is pleasant to the ears. And you are suddenly immersed into a beautiful musical experience especially if they are doing the soundtrack to the Lord of the Rings with the scenes behind it. It is a wonderful, wonderful, beautiful moment. And so here's what, what David is appealing to. Like, you, you know what it's like. Look at verse 8. Put it on the screen, please. You know what it is like to have your ears turned off off to the joy and gladness of God's beautiful gift of salvation because of sin. You know what it's like, follower of Christ, to be walking in that, and it's as if everything is chaotic. It's like, a, it's like, um, it's like something's broken, isn't it? Have you ever broken a bone? Uh, years ago, I was training and got hurt, and I had a few years of surgery and rehab on my right shoulder. And I didn't realize how much you do with a shoulder until my shoulder was broken. Uh, the next day, I thought I'd tough it out, and I realized I can't reach anything. <laughs> like, it's kind of stuck here. And man, it hurts to sleep and breathe. And I should probably see someone about this, right? And so in that process, you, I mean, you're just sitting hurt. Like just, just driving, you know, hurt. And then everything else began to hurt because of how I was babying my shoulder. And in that process, the fact that I had a broken bone, everything was reminding me of the pain. My whole body was in chaos. David says, that's how I'm feeling in my sin. I feel like life is chaotic and I'm deaf to God right now. I feel like my bones have been broken because of sin and I can't celebrate because I'm focusing, focusing on just breathing right now. But here's what David says. He says, oh God, would you let me hear joy and gladness. Would you remove, like someone who's deaf, the, the, what's blocking my, uh, my understanding and my hearing of you, that I may have joy in your salvation again? 
Would you help fix the broken bones within me, the brokenness due to this vast sin? Man, David knew what was going on. He tried to hide it. But God is way better at revealing our sin than we are at hiding it. And in the process and in the chaos, he's going, just the joy of salvation is gone. Have you felt that before? Jesus promised this in John 15. He said, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. As we're walking in sin as a follower of Christ, we understand what it is to be deaf to what God has to say, as if everything is chaotic and we're not understanding it, and as if something is broken and everything else is hurting as we limp along in life without Joy And David knows this feeling and he says, God, would you bring me from death to hearing that I may know your joy? You know, this morning I, I would ask if you're a follower of Christ and you don't experience joy in him, could it be that there are so many reasons and you're not to guilt yourself to try to figure out like, Man, am, am, am I, do I have hiding sin somewhere? And like, that's not what I'm asking. But if there is a blaring sin like a horn in front of you, I bet you're going to have a hard time hearing God and finding joy in him. But God's made a pathway for you to hear him. God's made a pathway for you to be restored. You see, not only are we dirty and made clean, but we are deaf and now we can hear And then on top of that, look in verses 9 and 10 as we continue on through Psalm 51. Uh, David cries out, hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. In Mark chapter 5, there's the story of um, a guy who Jesus uh, uh, comes and he lands on a shore. And this uh, demon-possessed guy runs up to him and bows down. And he and Jesus have a little bit of an exchange. I say a little bit because Jesus just says a few words, what's your name? And that's about it. And then he casts out the demons But this guy had been so ransacked by sin and what was going on in his life. Like, literally, Mark says that those in his town tried to chain him, but he kept pulling them off. No one could cage him. No one could confine him. And he was running around unclothed and insane, not even in his right mind. And Jesus, in a moment, delivered him from his sin. In a moment, someone who was insane was now sane and in his right mind. The townspeople, they don't know what in the world is going on. And so they come out to see what's going on. And they're actually a little upset because of some pigs that they lost or whatever. Great story. Read it in Mark 5. And so they come out and they see this man sitting in his right mind and speaking And this guy just wants to go with Jesus and begin telling others about Jesus because he has gone from depraved to sane. He has gone from twisted to now things are clear and makes sense. Uh, The idea here, right, the reason I tell you that is because it 
It literally is the word for like being like stable or steadfast, as if like having a right mind, not just being not being wrong, but actually being sound of mind. And here's what sin does that David realizes. Honestly, sin makes us stupid. It just does. I'm telling you, the things we think in our sin, like, oh, I don't know. There's someone that I shouldn't have. I'm going to use my position to get them anyways and then get their husband destroyed. Like, sin makes us think dumb things. And David realizes, my goodness, would you help me go from sinful to saint? Man, I should have wrote that down. That was a good point right there. Would you help me go from depraved to sane? Because sin is making me think wrong. That God's restoration of you helps you go from dirty to clean and from deaf to hearing and from depraved to sane. And not only that, David cries out because of the sin in his life that he wants to go from being depressed to once again exalted. Y'all, as you have found sin in your life before we read verses 11 and 12. As a follower of Christ, living in sin, knowing that there's something between you and God, you've just got to know that it is normal, not because God wants you in sin, but it is normal for you to feel as if this is not what I am, where I'm supposed to be. I feel bad about this. That is a normal thing, but don't stop there. Now look at in verses 11 and 12 where David goes from feeling depressed about his sin to ask God to raise him up again. Look at verse 11. David writes this. He says, cast me not away from your presence. Have you been there before? Where you're just crying out to God in your sin. Like, don't, man, don't leave me. Now, we have the promise of God that he won't. He, he won't. You might feel like it because you're deaf and dirty and depraved, but he hasn't left you even for a second. He says, cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. The very truth is that David has found out that in sin, where he is dirty and depraved and deaf, he has found himself afraid as if God will not receive him, be with him, or love him anymore. And yet the truth of the gospel is very different. And the truth of David's life is very different. But rather, verse 12, that God desires to restore to David and restore to you the joy of salvation. And uphold him. It's the word. Lift him up. Uphold him with a willing spirit. A steadfast spirit. That I again am not wallowing in my sin. But following faithfully after you. And that God can do that. And that's his design for you. In Jesus Christ. So what do we do with this? Y'all if there's nothing else we get from looking at Psalm 51. It is this beautiful, beautiful truth that through confession we find a God who makes us like Jesus. That's what sanctifies means. 
that salvation without confession is hallucination. Man, you're just making something up, but salvation with confession is sanctification. It's how we're set apart. It's how we're made like Jesus, that God has made us purely like him in salvation and is continuing to make us like him as we walk with him. That's sanctification. Not only that, he declares we are perfect. That last week, man, that this through confession, God over and over again helps us know what he already knows about us. That we have met the standard because of Jesus Christ. And that through this process, he restores us fully. Fully. You see, the chaos of what David was going through in life was driving him to confess his sins to the gospel. To God because of what would be the gospel. We know fully what David only knew partially. That God has made a way for those who find themselves in sin to be restored back to him. And it begins with confession and you find a savior that saves sinners. And you continue as a follower of Christ confessing your sin as you approach them, as they come up, as you find yourself in a place where you did not intend to be or deeper than you thought you would ever be. As you find yourself there, you confess your sin because we have a God who is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We have a God that no matter how dirty you are, he will make you clean. We have a God that no matter how deaf you are, he will open your ears to hear. We have a God who no matter how depraved or you think you might be, oh, he is ready to stand by and help you think right about him again. We have a God, as you're sitting and sulking in your sin, which that's what sin does. I mean, just look at the rest of the psalm that we won't get to go through together. David cries out. He says, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. He's found that his sin is affecting his worship of God. He says in verse 16, you will do not, not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt Offering, even if I were to somehow try to worship you, you and I, we know that this thing is here, and this is, and this is blocking this whole thing. Look down in verse 16. To do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Zion, a word in the Bible of like God's collective people that David is the leader is realizing my sin is affecting my entire nation that I'm leading, everybody around me, all of my relationships. So what does he do when he finds himself in sin? Oh man, he confesses it. And he cries out to God and God answers him because in verse 1 and 2, he is a mercy and abounding in steadfast love. So, brothers and sisters in Christ, let's take some time to confess our sin. As music begins to play, I invite you right now even to let's bow our head and close our eyes and go to a time of response where we, we tell God, God, I, 
I have sinned. And I hope, I hope that God by His Spirit, God, would you do this right now, that God by His Spirit would help you see that He is in the business not of condemnation, but of salvation and sanctification and justification, all those things of restoring people back to Him. Jesus said it like this. He said, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever would believe in Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. John 3, 16. And then He says, For the Son of Man did not come into the world to condemn the world, but so that all might believe through Him. God's desire for you is to be freed from sin. That as a follower of Christ, there is no condemnation for those who are His. So today, if you're in sin, confess your sin. If you're dirty, be made clean. If you've been deaf to God because of sin, ask Him to open your ears again. If you've found yourself with your mind twisted and unable to process because of your sin, would you ask Him to help make your mind right again? If you're finding yourself in a place where you continue to feel bad about the ways that you've failed, would you confess your sin and proclaim that God desires to exalt you and lift you up and lift you high again? If you're not a follower of Christ, I want you to know that what Christians around you are doing all began because they had a moment where they confessed to God that they were sinners and asked for forgiveness. If you've never done that before, I invite you to do that today. In fact, as others are praying and blocking me out, and feel free to, please. If you're in here today and you don't know Jesus uh, and you don't know what it means to be forgiven of your sin before God, I want you to know that the Bible declares that you have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Like, welcome to the club. All of us have. And that God declares that the consequences of your sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's what Romans is all about. So if you're in here today and you've never confessed your sin to God to to follow Jesus, I invite you to do that now for the very first time. To receive the free gift of God That's eternal life through Jesus Christ. It sounds something like this, if that's you. You tell God right now, you say, Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. I believe that you paid the penalty for my sin with Jesus. And that he is alive. And so I ask that you'd make him Lord of my life. God, forgive me of my sin and help me to walk faithfully following you. And if that's you and you've prayed to receive Jesus and ask him to forgive you for the very first time, in just a second, I'll be up here, Daryl will be up here, 
and Gary will be up here. And we would love to talk with you more about that. Or if there's an area of your life and you are a follower of Christ or you have more questions and you just need someone to pray with you, and we'd love to pray with you. But that being said, I'm going to pray. I'm going to invite us to stand. It doesn't mean that you have to, but you're welcome to. And we're going to sing a song and respond with the beauty of confession. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you for being our king. I ask God that you would help us in this moment to be more like you and more in love with you than when we came out into this place. Lord, thank you that we we don't confess our sin just for the sake of feeling bad for our sin. We confess our sin because we have a great and good Savior. Lord, I pray that you give us the courage and conviction to respond to you in this time. We thank you, Jesus, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.